The story is so surreal that it, well, it verges on the satirical. It can't possibly be true, but it is absolutely, utterly, 100%. It's the story of the angel makers of Nagrev, women living in a village in Hungary who became uh, modern history's most unlikely group of murderesses. I... I have as the witness for prosecution uh, Patty McCracken. Patty's a, a journalist who has done extensive investigation into the story and put it all into a book called The Angel Makers, Arsenic, A Midwife and Modern History's Most Astonishing Murdering. And I welcome you to our little wireless program, Patty, with a sense of disbelief. Now... <laughs> This yes. book didn't just happen. You've taken yonks to write it. I did take yonks to write it. Uh, seed to Fruit, it took about 14 years. Uh, that includes starting from first pen to paper for the book proposal on to publication, which was this spring. Um, the actual writing and research probably boiled down to a short eight years. But it, yes, it took quite a while. Take us uh, back to the beginning. Uh, when and where did all this happen? As far as uh, the crimes that were committed, this happened in a very tiny village, more like a hamlet, about 60 miles east of Budapest. Um, and the village was called Nagarev. And my story picks up in 1916, although it started happening before then. Um, but it happened, you know, from 1916, so World War One, on up through 1929 when the crimes uh, finally came to light and it was finally discovered what was going on. I'd like you to introduce me to this uh, delightful character, Auntie Susie. Oh, yes. Auntie Susie. Auntie Susie was the midwife of the village. And she had come to the village in about 19, in 1900, she was appointed the official village midwife. And she was a woman who was very essential to the community as midwives were at that time. They were critical to the community, actually. Um, they were the de facto doctors, the vets and such. And Auntie Susie would go down to the store on the little main street there and she would buy bundles of flypaper and she would come back to her house and she would painstakingly distill from the flypaper arsenic and she would put that arsenic in a vial in her little apron pocket and she would go to her neighbor women, and she would say, why are you bothering with him? I have a solution. And she literally had a solution. She had a, an elixir in her pocket of the arsenic, and she would sell it to the neighbor women to get rid of their husbands, which were, it was usually because they were abusive. And so this was their solution. Well, it seems a logical extension of the fact that she was an expert herbalist. She was. She was. Um, you and I would go into a forest, or at least I would go into a forest, and I see trees. Auntie Susie would go into a forest, and she would see a pharmacy. So she knew she knew everything about every plant that was growing all around her garden in the forest. And this was also true of midwives at that time. They were expert herbalists, so they were there to treat 
the pay, you know, treat the clients, treat the villagers um, for every ailment from anything from a cold to I've even heard, you know, tumors. So they were quite essential. So the arsenic she distilled from uh, fly paper was easily added to food or drink and uh, apparently very hard to detect. Yes, and I don't know how easily it was added, but she she seemed to find a way to add it. Um, hard to detect, yes. She always used to say she liked to have put it in something thick like soup, but she often put it in wine because that was readily available and... Um, readily um, <laughs> consumed quite uh, frequently. And so it was easy in that regard. Um, and hard to detect in a certain way because you can't really smell it. It might have a slight metallic taste, you know, or, sm you know, like smell like old water or something. But yeah, it was pretty, and, and arsenic, by the way, doesn't, isn't on flypaper anymore. So you know, don't go to your local store and try to buy flypaper. Now, now let's look at motives. Some uh, murdered their cruel and abusive husbands, as you mentioned. Uh, apparently one murdered a sickly son, but there were other reasons. There was as many reasons as there were differences in relationships and how people got on in life. I, most of it was abusive husbands. But you're right, there was a woman who um, killed her sickly son. There were sickly in-laws that were killed. It wasn't always a husband. Um, there was property to be inherited. That was sometimes the case. So, and Auntie Susie was not the only one distributing arsenic. Um, she's who I focus on in the book. There were other women who were doing it, but most women were doing this because uh, it was like a sister helping a sister, you know. They were just, you know, doing it sp spotty here and there. But with Auntie Susie, it was a business. For her, it was absolutely a business of poisoning. But she also used the poison to euthanize babies. She did. Um, this was also the role of a midwife, not to euthanize babies, but it was the role of a midwife to be the family planner. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's hard to sort of boil it down and distill it as to um, the situations in which babies were killed with arsenic. But in some cases, it was a baby that would not survive and that was not believed to be able to survive. Either the mother wasn't producing milk and there there was no, um, no milk available, or the baby just, for whatever reason, maybe was born five months, uh, you know, premature and wouldn't survive. So in, you know, in a certain case a type of mercy killing something a baby that would die in a few days rather than a few weeks but overarching um, the the main reason that men were committing well they were being brutal to their wives and i guess they were coming back from the war which would have exacerbated it that's right yeah there's a culture of abuse anyway um, in Hungary and Austria and Europe and America and, you know, there was the culture of abuse and that unfortunately still exists. You'd walk into a home and there was the obedience strap by the front door and that wasn't just for the children, it was for the, the wife as well. But yes, you had young men, boys, 
you know, 18-year-old boys going off to war and fighting on the worst, at least one of the worst fronts of World War I, and coming back, and what they used to call shell shock, now call PTSD, but who's there to help them? There's no counselors, there's no psychological care, there's plenty of wine around to, you know, kill the pain. So, it just made a, a horrible situation that much more horrible. So, these young men were coming back very mentally damaged, but coming back into a very small house where there's children, and they're violent. They were violent maybe to begin with, but who knows how many times more violent when they came back from war. So, it was a really like a vo- very volatile situation in many homes, I my my guest is uh, Patty McCracken, and we're talking about uh, perhaps the greatest true crime story in modern history, the story of the Angel Makers. Now, Auntie Susie's cousins are doing the same thing in a nearby village. You hint it might have been going on elsewhere. How many men do you think might have been murdered in total? Well, the prosecutor believed that he could easily dig up 162 bodies and find 162 bodies with arsenic in it. Yeah? So he believed there were at least 162 victims and possibly many, 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 many more. He wasn't allowed to prosecute 162, but it was it was large numbers. And it wasn't just Nagarev, like you said, it's the neighboring village of Tisakurt and other villages that, that fanned out around the area. There were women, at the time that the investigation was going on, there were graveyards in a neighboring village that had, you know, acid poured on them, and they were like, you know, cutting at the stone to try to get the... um, the inscribed names off of the stones, so because people didn't want their, you know, their husbands dug up, so they were trying to hide the tombstone. They were trying to hide who was, you know, buried underneath that tombstone. So there was a lot of fear because there was a, you know, there people were very, women were very concerned that their crimes were going to be found out. And yet you described the goings-on as an open secret amongst uh, women in the villages. Why did none of the men cotton on in time to save themselves? That's a question I've been asking myself. You know, I don't have the answer to that question. But it was it was an open secret in that, you know, it's kind of like, People suspected, but you have to understand, it, it's hard for us to imagine now, but a midwife in that era was, they were called quote-unquote wise women, and they were often um, not practicing Christianity, but practicing a type of, um, they were like shamans. And so, some people would be scared of them, you know, like what what is she going to do? She works in the spirit world as well as this world, so what's she going to do to me? So, there was a bit of a a fear and respect, such as it is, for midwives. And I think they were scared of Susie, but I think they were also obviously, you know, had their heads in the sand. Well, of course, Auntie Susie was an other, wasn't she, because she was Romany. Yes, and many midwives were Romany. They would... um, Many, she fit the profile of just a very, in certain many ways, a typical midwife, except that she carried arsenic around in her pocket. 
Patty, how did the crimes uh, first start to come to light? Well, this actually goes back to when we were talking about the open secret is that people, and we believe it was women judged by the handwriting, had been sending anonymous notes to what essentially amounted to the mayor for years. And women, obviously, who were accusing other women, were saying, you've got to take a look at, you know, this woman and this woman and this woman. We think they're, they're killing people. And those notes just went ignored. Um, a new mayor comes to the head, and he anonymous notes are passed to him. And that was essentially boiled down to that happening with these anonymous notes coming in and, uh, and somebody who's actually paying attention. And um, an attempted murder in that neighboring village we mentioned earlier. There was an attempted murder, and the man survived and, um, you know, was able to bear witness to who had poisoned him. But, Patty, there were also a series of exhumations, and uh, there's a paradox here. It was easy to figure out what had happened to them because, in a sense, arsenic had acted as a, acted as a preserving agent. Yes, arsenic would preserve the body. So um, it was interesting also because some of the women had actually put the bottle of arsenic in the coffin as a way to hide it, you know, and sort of wash their hands of it and not have any evidence. And they actually buried the evidence in the coffin with the victim, not realizing they were ever going to be found out. So what happens to Auntie Susie in the end, Patty? Well, Auntie Susie had gone to prison once on abortion charges. And when she left prison, she had promised herself that she would never, ever, ever go back. And let's just say she made sure that happened. She would never go back to prison, and she never did. Um, so, yeah, she took her own life in a kind of dramatic way, as only Auntie Susie. You can count on Auntie Susie to always be dramatic. At the time, the story made headlines around the world. Even the New York Times had a reporter on the track. But is it still remembered in Hungary today. You know, that was so fascinating because I mo I used to live in Austria, so I didn't live far from where it happened. And um, I moved to the village where the trials took place for a few months while I was researching it and hired a local historian to help me. And the person I rented the apartment from, she had never heard of it. She went home and asked her parents. Her parents had heard of it. So it looks like sort of millennials and younger have not heard about it. Um, Solnok, where the trial, again, where the trials took place, they had a, a special feature in the newspaper a couple of years ago on the prosecutor, because he's quite celebrated there. Um, but a lot of people hadn't heard about it. It's very interesting. It's no, it is, if they have heard about it, it's known locally as the arsenic trials. Now, talking about the trials, indictments were brought against uh, 66 women, but only uh, 16 were convicted. A couple of men were also convicted as accomplices. Explain that. Yeah. Well, just sort of um, they are the ones who clearly knew what was going on. There's a case of a woman, for example, who killed her um, uncle. 
And the husband sort of stood idly by and, and knew what was going on and was in on the transactions. And, you know, so they didn't actually poison, but they certainly were an accomplice. And there were there were a couple of other cases like that where um, the, the husband and wife were conspiring together to to kill another relative. Well, let us end as we began. The story can't be true, but it is. And Patty, thanks for telling us about it. Remarkable, remarkable, remarkable. Patty uh, McCracken is a journalist and the author of The Angel Makers, Arsenic, A Midwife, and A Modern History's Most Astonishing Murdering. It's published by HarperCollins. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.